0: The worst kept secret in the luxury social events industry is that businesses are developed through networking, referrals, and word of mouth. RSVP puts all of you in the room and lets the conversations happen. We are a member networking community for the elite of the global wedding and party industry, producing symposium conferences, awards, networking theme parties, breakfast clubs, and now weekly member podcasts and much more. So, welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. My guest today describes himself thus. I'm a curious world traveller, having clocked 16.5 million miles around the world in search of all things fun, chic, and fabulous. You know the obvious, party planning, creative director, author, TV host, consultant, and entrepreneur. What you don't know are the things I do to keep me creatively inspired and in touch with pop culture. I love to cook and entertain. I get tremendous pleasure from having family and friends over for lunch and dinner. I used to cook very complicated multiple step dishes. And as my taste has changed, I've become a purist, always in search of the very best ingredients, allowing them to shine. I am to tabletop what Imelda Marcos is to shoes. I can't resist a good dish and have an amazing collection of tabletop. I was in the military, and that's where I honed my organization on survival skills. With self-diagnosed ADD, I thrive on order in every aspect of my life. It's not because I'm a tidy freak. It's because, aesthetically, I like to see beauty and harmony around me. Before emigrating to the States, I started to study pharmacy, and the closest I got to accomplishing anything in that field was delivering 13 babies while in the operational area in Namibia, working as a medic in the military. From the age of seven, I started playing the piano. I love to sit at my piano and pretend I am an accomplished pianist. I also pride myself on having a robust collection of music from some of the world's greatest DJs. I can't remember how many times my phone saved the day and people actually thought I was the DJ. That said... The only thing I like more than a pack dance floor is to be in the middle of one, pretending I am John Travolta. My self-diagnosed ADD has not set me up for success in the driving department. Easily distracted and earlier in life, I have had multiple glamorous car accidents. My colleagues even get nervous when I drive a golf cart. That said, I am now an amazing backstreet passenger. I've always thought of myself as a gardener, but my green fingers are not working lately as I'm constantly replacing palm trees and plants on my patio. I love arranging flowers and making the house beautiful. While I'm a big collector of many things, I am a minimalist at heart and keep the home quite spartan I regularly accessorizing and redecorating it. That, Mr Colin Carey, is the best intro i've given so far so that is (laughs) that's wonderful i mean what a life and you're only halfway through it i'm just getting started james well i mean that is enough to keep us occupied for many many hours in terms of even half of those anecdotes but let me let's just go back to the beginning of your life you were not from the states just tell me about where you grew up and where you were born and your family and your earliest memories etc I think that my earliest years were very charmed, part of a charmed
1: life. I was born in Central Africa and Zambia in Kitwe, and we had one hotel that you would never put your foot into, a country club we all belonged to. So I cannot think of a time when we didn't have, the, have either have guests coming over for dinner or for cocktails or guests who were staying with us. So the idea of entertaining and, and, and being around people and friends and family was instilled in me from a very, very early age.
0: Do you have a, a first memory of the African plains?
1: Growing up as a kid, I remember going to going on safari at a very early age and uh, and really experiencing Africa. And I mean, there is something that happens in Africa that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. There's a color of the sky, there's a color of the earth, there's a vibration in the air. So once I've always said, once you get the African bug, you continue to go back. And I'd never forgotten my African roots. I love where I was born. It gave me an incredible foundation. And my year is not complete unless I get to touch down in Africa at least once or twice.
0: Okay, okay. So you stayed there until which age? To the age of seven years old. Uh-huh. Immigrated to
1: South Africa um, with the rest of my family. Had an amazing time together. And, uh, you know, in South Africa, in the beginning, it was an amazing time to live there. And then. You know, we started to grow up and apartheid got stronger and stronger. And I realized that I didn't want to spend, after I became a teenager, I didn't want to spend my hardest working years in a country that I didn't believe in the future. I didn't think that the situation was fair and I didn't know what would happen. So in 1985, with $400 in my pocket, one well-cut suit,
0: One omnipresent suntan and huge dreams arrived in Los Angeles. Wonderful. So what made you become a temporary pharmacist and going into the the baby delivering industry?
1: (laughs) Ah, there was a little stint in between. So uh, I, I started to study pharmacy and then I realized I had to do my military training first. And I did my military training and, you know, this was no walk in the park. Mm-hmm. This was based on the Israeli military. It was tough. You went in and you did three months of basic training where basically they tore you down, built you up, uh, indoctrinated you with information, and really taught you amazing survival skills. And I was assigned to two SSB, two special service battalion of armored vehicles, which meant I was either going to be a a gunner, a mechanic, or a driver. Three things. Clearly, I didn't sign up forever. So I decided I needed to get smart, and I wanted to get into the medics because I had a love of medicine, pharmacy, and I figured that could be a much cushier job. So one day on a parade ground with two and a half thousand troops, when the commandant said, Attention, I threw an epileptic seizure of notes. Meryl Streep would have given me an Academy Award. <laughs> Frothing at the mouth, head shot back in rigor mortis, rifle on my chest. I made it to the sick bay, and then I showed them my organizational skills, my charm, my finesse. I became friendly with the, the major who ran the sick bay, and she said, you're not going anywhere. Mission accomplished. And then I realized that, you know, I couldn't slow anything down but I could speed things up. Uh-huh. And if I realized every time I had to do some extraordinary form of exercise or whatever it was, I wasn't doing it for them, I was doing it for me. And I became stronger and I became better and I became an amazing medic. And so much so once in the operational era with the major, I was able to save and create a situation that stopped a bunch of explosives from going off in a camp when we were on a on a a, a recce in Southern Angola and I received a medal. I got a medal of Propatriot for my outstanding work and uh, doing something that created great safety to my troops around me. And that after two years, I really had learned a lot and I had an amazing time. I came back, I worked in the US in South Africa for a couple of years. I went to Europe and instead of going back to study, I traveled for six months. And then I realized I wanted to come and live in the U.S. And, uh, and that's how I arrived in the U.S. Wonderful. Wonderful.
0: So in terms of art forms, you obviously, we, we work in a very creative industry, but if you were to choose one art form that you couldn't live without, you, you use every day, you appreciate every day, what would it be? Living well. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I suppose it's, It is an art form, yes, definitely. It's 100% an Mm art form, and
1: I made a tremendous industry, and I made a big business out of living well. When I grew up in in, in Central Africa and Zambia, we weren't very rich, but we were certainly very comfortable, and we lived a fabulous life, and I was taught how to entertain and, and how things should be done around the home. And when I came to the United States and I saw people had you know, shoes stored in the kitchen closets because they're at a restaurant five nights a week. And I thought, I need to demystify the whole idea of what entertaining is about. Entertaining is not about impressing people. It's about making people welcome and comfortable in your home. And how do you do that? So, you know, between working as a contributing editor to magazines, providing content for eight years on the Today Show, eight years on the CBS Early Show, my own show on Home Shopping Network, where I design bedding and Christmas decorates, almonds and pots and pans and indoor and outdoor, together with my own show on the Ween Network, it was all about teaching people to live their best life. And to live well and to reward yourself. And this has nothing to do with money. It's about an attitude towards yourself. And I think that great style comes from not only what you do, but great style really comes from how you treat yourself. If you treat yourself well, you know how to treat others. Mm -hmm. So that has always been my emo. So I wrote books on the art of entertaining, on how to travel, on how to run your office, on how to present the best version of yourself. And a lot of people write these things but don't live that. I live like that every day. When we went into the pandemic, okay, and there was no staff in the home, I said to Danny, my husband, for those of you who don't know, our lifestyle is not going to change. I said, do you want to wear the yellow gloves and polish the silver, or do you want to do the ironing? Uh, And we stepped on iron sheets and ate of polished silver in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, what else are we going to do after you watch Netflix for an hour?
0: (laughs) The amazing thing that I noticed over um, lockdown was that you turned yourself into a TV chef, uh, which was brilliant. I mean, you are the ultimate sort of chameleon of this industry. You can turn your, your, your hand to anything.
1: I think that's part of being an amazing event producer designer is to be able to know what everyone else does and to be able to do what they do. Am I going to cook for 600 people? No. But I've written, I've written two best-selling cookbooks. Mm-hmm. And I run a, a full kitchen in my home. We serve breakfast, sometimes lunch, and dinner in my home four or five times a week. I actually live that way. So cooking was obviously a very, very big part of me, but I learned all these skills that supported the event industry.
0: You've had a long career so far, and, and there's quite a number of years ahead of you still. But was there one moment of one thing that happened to you which 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 turned you from Colin Carey, the boy from Africa, into Colin Carey the the global event superstar?
1: I have an amazing I remember one day I had to make money and I was teaching cooking lessons to the Beverly Hills High School Adult Programme. In other words, these the mothers of the kids who didn't know how to make pasta. Okay. <laughs> And one woman, one woman said, can you freeze it? I said, it takes eight minutes to cook. Why would you want to freeze it? It's longer to defrost. So I met the wife of the president of Playboy. She was one of the students. She said, would you come and be a food consultant for Hugh Hefner's wedding? So I go up to the Playboy mansion, and I see this extraordinarily beautiful, classic Tudor mansion in Homeby Hills. And then they show me the plans for this wedding with buffets, with a fajita station, and a taco station. And they want people to wear black tie. And I'm looking at this gorgeous Tudor. and I'm thinking, I really wouldn't know what to do here other than start all over. So I said, you know, if it was my wedding, I would do it this way, and I would do it that way. And then all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, someone more important was sitting in front of me. And 20 minutes later, someone more important was sitting in front of that person. And about an hour later... I've now got the whole look completely pulled together. I'm sitting in front of Hugh Hefner with his pajamas on. It's 12 <laughs> weeks before the wedding. He says to me, can you do this without a blink of an eye, then yield that. Of course I can. And I made the most exquisite wedding. And because they wanted to have buffets, which I changed into food stations, and it had to be blacked up with Ganesian grapes in front of the food stations, and trumpeters in white military uniforms, made fanfares as the drapes came up for the caviar service and then the drapes came down the decor changed the waiters uniforms changed the flowers changed the food changed fanfare and the drapes came up for the next course so i did something really really completely over the top and i had no idea how important the world's most famous bachelor really was <laughs> and i remember walking in three days later and there were 40 people sitting around a conference room table and said, you know, this is going to be the biggest wedding of the year. You're on. Okay. I mean, I was three years into this, okay? So I'm stumbling, and uh, I made my way through, and I told them this extraordinary story of this amazing wedding and literally produced the most amazing wedding. And I don't know if anybody on this podcast remembers the Yellow Pages, but were those of us who have been around longer, the Yellow Pages were a reference book. It was probably three to four inches thick, I garnered two volumes as thick as the yellow pages on press. And this kind wow. of made
0: me feel <laughs> I And I was three years into the country of living here. That's amazing. Like, but it's it's all about hot spa. It's all about sort of, yeah, it's, it, that is a phenomenal story. And seizing the opportunity
1: and realizing that this was my moment and, you know, throwing 120% of myself into every single thing to make sure it was sheer, absolute, total perfection. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, well, let's continue on the food agenda. In your home, you have a phenomenal bar, I'm sure. Yes. And behind that bar is every single drink you could possibly ever drink in the world, alcoholic, non-alcoholic. And behind it is the best bar in the world. You go up to your bar. What do you actually order? What does Colin Carey order? A ridiculously cold
1: shaken, vodka martini, no vermouth, gray goose in a chilled glass with a twist of orange and a mist of orange blossom water. Wonderful. Wonderful. That is my classic go-to ever. It's interesting. I used to be in the same thing with cooking. I used to learn to cook all these and I went to France and I followed these chefs and I bought their books and I would make these complicated dishes with five and six and seven courses. I'd bake with a the thermometer and with the sugar syrup and whatever, and I used to turn out these creation that took forever to do, and I thought I was the bee's knee. And now, having really travelled and really honed my, my 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 skills of of food beverage appreciation gastronomy, I've become a complete purist. And now, mm-hmm. buy the best ingredients, which I search for, and I do as little to them as possible. I allow them to shine. I allow them to talk. I love to eat seasonally. And I love to eat regionally. You know? mm-hmm. That's why I think I have such an affiliation. I enjoy all the cuisines around the world, but for me, eating in Italy, there's mm-hmm. nothing better. You know, from the north to the south, the east, the west, from January through December, it's it was always interesting and it's fascinating, and it's you know, it's 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 great food.
0: Okay, so this could be a difficult question to answer. But if you're having a dinner party at home for any food you want, you can cook it yourself or bring in. A chef from anywhere in the world, what would you serve with your vodka martinis? Indian.
1: Indian? I live for Indian food. First mm-hmm. of all, the largest population of Indians outside of India lived in South Africa, in Durban, Natal. Mm-hmm. So there it was is? a very, very strong influence of Indian cuisine in our home. It was something that showed up at least maybe once, sometimes twice a week. You know, then we have the Cape Malay, which is a of. Bergela- of Indian ingredients because Cape Town was the watering hole of the spice route. So mm-hmm. all these ethnic recipes, they had lots of time. The, the 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 working class had lots of time on their hands and lots of patience, and they had access to all these extraordinary ingredients. Okay, so they made these fabulous bubbling pots of stews and casseroles, and curries. That was a confluence of because the South African kitchen we call it the rainbow kitchen. You have the German settlers, you have the English. You had the, um, the, the Dutch, you had the mm-hmm. Portuguese from, from Mozambique. So you had, And then you got 12 different black, uh, black kitchens of them around that together with Indian. It really is the rainbow cuisine. Mm-hmm. And as a result of it, I love cooking Indian and, and love to enjoy it. And if I'm making Indian, I sometimes make a cardamom syrup and I add a little bit of that to my martini. Now we have an Indian martini. <laughs> Wonderful.
0: No, okay. So you you have your vodka martinis, you have yes. some the, the best Indian food, and you have a dinner party. Now, anybody alive or dead can be coming to this dinner party. Who would you have around the table? For the most stimulating conversation.
1: Oh, I'd have to bring a few people back. Um, I would say that one of the people that I found the most influential in my life and and I've referenced so many times was such an extraordinary example to mankind and humanity was Nelson Mandela. Uh-huh. I was very fortunate to have met him on several times on several occasions. For one, he would definitely be a guest. Secondly, also posthumously, would be Wilbur Smith, the epic mm-hmm. African adventure writer. Yes, I thought he was one of the most fascinating men who wrote and captured the most incredible stories, all based on history and fact, not only in South Africa but also to encompassing Egyptian mythology, which I'd studied at school. Mm-hmm. So he was a really fascinating man. The other one. Love to have had Princess Diana at the table. Uh-huh. I was completely captured and in a word and and got to meet her and do several things with her when I worked at In Style Magazine. And I would say I'd had a couple of my family and friends around the table. But you know, I think that's the art of a dinner party is really it's about who do you put at the table, who do you sit next to one another, and how do you keep the plate spinning? How do you make sure mm-hmm. that the conversation is spicy and juicy and and, and keeps everything going and makes sure everybody really walks with him. Wow, that was just the most fascinating night. Because when we entertain, I always appeal to all the senses. Right? It's about what you smell, touch, taste, see and hear. Right. And that's how we get to take you on a journey, a carefully thought out beginning, a middle and an end. Exactly the same thing with I'm doing 10 people at home or I'm doing 500 people for a, for a big wedding. It's the same philosophy. It's the same principles that apply.
0: Using the same ingredients and materials. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Just about Nelson Mandela. When he came into a room, I never met him, sadly. The When he came into a room or, or he, he was in a room, did the room stop? Did he have an aura about him that was otherworldly? 100%.
1: 100%. You could feel the magnificence of his presence, of being in the same space with them. Here is a man who was incarcerated for twenty six years and came out with a zero, zero remorse against uh-huh. his captors. Phenomenal. Okay. And he went and he hired an Afrikaans girl from the extreme right wing typing pool to be his assistant. Uh-huh. And send out a message of of, of unity and and and, and 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 toleration. And I just thought he was the most extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary leader in the world.
0: Amazing. Uh-huh humanitarian more than a leader mm-hmm. it's wonderful it's wonderful i'd love to also to be at your dinner party if he's there and and everybody else anyway you're
1: welcome for the next one <laughs> thank you i hope you like thank
0: india you. i love indian we um in fact we we met for the first time on the back of a elephant in india didn't we really this is exactly <laughs> true i do remember that and i'll never forget that it was one of the most <laughs> exciting trips imaginable yes it was wonderful so when you want to go to relax chill out have a break where do you go
1: Safari. Mm -hmm. I live to be on safari. I grew up with it. I have such a tremendous respect for the animal kingdom. Um, I'm very much a conservationist. I support conservation efforts. I'm involved in conservation efforts. And I've learned as much from the animal kingdom as I've learned out of any book. And to go and to be in that environment where you really are the lowest rung on the food chain. Uh Once you get out of that vehicle, you're touched. (laughs) So besides being extremely humbled and in tremendous awe with respect, I've always said things happen in threes. Something happens in the third hour. Something happens in the third cup of tea. Something happens on the third day where you're no longer just impressed with the animals and the kills and, and, and the mightiness and the size of these animals. It's then when you notice that there's a vibration in the sky and the vibration in the earth and the snow that you just don't find anywhere else. And that, for me, is the ultimate form of relaxation. I mm-hmm. find then I get to take stock of my life completely. And I look at every area of my life and I figure where I am, what I could do. And it's just that's an incredible way to recharge your battery. So, I go on
0: safari at least once a year. Mm-hmm. And one year, I actually clocked in five safaris. Wow. And you, you have your own lodges, or you have an interest in some lodges, don't you? I have an interest in some lodges, and I'm getting into that space in quite a big
1: way. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's uh, part of my next big chapter will be an opportunity not only to support my conservation efforts. But to work with these lodges in areas where we really get to uplift the local community Mm -hmm. and make sure that they have the basics, you know, Mm -hmm. clean water, uh, the ability for a young girl to be able to go to school and have a school for her Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, having to walk five kilometers a day to carry water where she's not developing her social skills, she's sexually at risk for Mm -hmm. being raped, and uh, doesn't get to develop as any young girl should, you know, making sure that we have the gender equality and we have equal opportunities for all these people. Malaria no more. Uh, there's so much work to be done in this arena and a lot of local people do not take care of their local people, of their own people. So mm-hmm. a lot of this is left for people working in the NGO space to go out and create mm-hmm. programs where we get to support those who are less and underserved. That's um, it's wonderful. Wonderful.
0: So, In your introduction, you mentioned your ADD. Very honest of you. Thank you very much. Um, I didn't actually know that. So that's. um... I don't have ADD. I just say it's
1: self diagnosed because I have (laughs) a couple of symptoms. (laughs) You could also say that I suffer from OCD and ABC.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, we are in the creative industries and there are lots of people that exhibit those symptoms. Dyslexia is very common for for obvious reasons, and that is OCD. We are, I think, with any creative industry, I think it helps the creative process. I mean, I, uh, my first jobs in, in, in industry were in design agencies, and it was a bit of a competition with all the designers to see who was the most dyslexic. And, you know, and it, it was seen as a badge of pride to be the most dyslexic in the room, yeah. because you were seen as the most creative. So, I mean, any thoughts on whether your self-diagnosis makes a difference to what you do? Does it help the process? Listen, I put it this way, James. We all come into the world, right?
1: And when I was in my twenties, I had the most magnificent hardware, right? But the software was on a 1.1. Right?
0: <laughs>
1: now at sixty, I've got the greatest software. I've got the strongest RP, and the hardware is hanging in and on. So over the years. We develop, you know, every time you stumble and you fall. Michael Jordan said it best it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up. My analogy from that is like, you know, it's like surfing. When you're on the crest of the wave, you're more interested in who's looking at you and what kind of image you're putting out there. But you really learn when you fall off that surfboard and you're paddling to get back on the board and paddling to get back again. That's where we learn the lessons. And when we make sure we don't repeat the same lesson, we've increased our IP, right? So at this stage, my, my personal IP is as strong as it's ever been. I mean, you know, 61 years of traveling around this world as a sponge, learning as much as I possibly can, and having worked with the most extraordinary, exceptional, unbelievably talented and accomplished people in the world, I've learned something from each and every single one of those people. So, at the end of the day, uh, a little bit of O-D-D-A-C-D-A-B-C-X-Y-Z,
0: <laughs> you know, got me yeah. That's wonderful. Let's talk about your husband, Danny. You were just able to sneak in your wedding literally hours before COVID struck, I think, rather than days or, or weeks. So, you've been married now for a few years. Tell us about Danny. What can you share about him? I've met him. I know him. He's... Amazing. So first of all, I never thought I was going to get married. Uh I thought that this was something
1: that Colin Cowie did for other people, right? (laughs) I married (laughs) other people. Colin Cowie was never going to get married. And then we met, and and, and I thought, madly, madly in love. Not because he's probably one of the most beautiful, handsome men imaginable, but he is exceptionally smart. He reads and writes five different languages. He has a PhD from Princeton in international economics. He has three other degrees. And I found my last apartment. Okay. And uh, we threw the most extraordinary wedding. We spent a year planning it. We took 176 people to South Africa for seven days. It was three days of safari, put everyone on a plane, flew everyone to Cape Town. We did two, three days in Cape Town, went out to the Winelands. spent two days there, and threw the most epic wedding. That started at 6 p.m. at night, ridiculously chic and elegant. And then from midnight till 6 a.m., it got a little more fun as the night went on. Uh-huh. And then we all came back. And a week later, we were all in mosques. A week later, the world was in complete shutdown. Mm-hmm. And I had to get smart. Why? Because all that was coming in were wedding bills and cancellations. Mm-hmm. Millions and millions and millions of dollars, of cancellations, of no parties. And fortunately, I had done a lot of work in and around the event space of creating experiences, working as a creative director for NetJet, creative director for the Mirror Hotel in Hong Kong, creative director for Central Park Tower. So I then figured I don't want to get rid of this extraordinary team that I've built. I need to redirect who would use and could use my work, my energy, and what could I bring to the table? So I set my eyes on developers in southern Florida I flew here, there were four people on the plane, Danny and and another cup, another wow. two people. We were all played to ourselves. I met with three developers, and I came back with two contracts. And in the midst of that, I worked with my team every single day between cancellations and paying wedding bills, we built Thrive Hospitality. And Thrive Hospitality is a consulting company and an operating company that not only got me through the pandemic, and allowed me to keep my team full and and together. But these revenue streams have continued and have continued to grow post the pandemic. (laughs) So I have a whole new division that out of my darkest, darkest moment came a bright ray of of light and a lifeline that's now turned into a whole new company.
0: It's very, very rare to have such a creative individual, which who is also so good at business. It really is. Very, very rare indeed. And that's, That's why you are who you are, I think, as well. You know, James, at this stage of my life, I've survived so many crashes,
1: so many falls, so many things that went wrong, right? And, you know, as we said, it's about resilience. And I'm my very, very best when my back is against the wall. When Mm -hmm. I'm in my most threatened position, I become as calm as a cucumber, and I will always find a way to get to the other side. I think it, you know, it goes back to being thrown into the military, being in the operational area, and taught survival skills that failure is not an option.
0: Wonderful. So let's um, we've done all the nice bits. So what don't you like? If you had a Room 101, the Orwellian room where all the nasties are, what would you put into Room 101? I don't like bullshit,
1: to be very honest with you. Uh, I don't like idle gossip and chatter. I tend to run from that stuff because it doesn't serve anybody particularly well. And uh, I focus kind of more on what I need and what I want in life versus what I need to avoid. I think by natural way of how I navigate my world through life, I don't know who I don't want to be around and what doesn't serve me well.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Makes sense? Yes, definitely. Wonderful. And
1: you know, our industry is very gossipy,
0: right? Oh, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, you have to be very, very careful about what you do and say. Very, very careful.
1: And I, that's why I prefer not to play that game, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd rather be on good terms with most people. I know, you know, who I like, who I don't like. I know who I respect, who I don't respect, and uh, I navigate my way accordingly.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So, what's the naughtiest thing you've ever done, Colin? Nothing I'd ever be prepared to on this podcast. It's, this is a question I'm asking everybody, and no one will say. I mean, the the worst thing was that someone had made love in a cornfield. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to, have to be I'm sexual. Starving. I can
1: assure you, I'm in the party business, the nightclub business. I'm in the business of having a good time. Clearly, I'm no saint. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I ticked every box. <laughs> okay, I mean, when you think about it a lot, right? mm-hmm. I am built and designed from the world of yes. Mm-hmm. Right? I always say yes, unless it's illegal or unless it's dangerous or someone's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Because if you say yes, you'll drive you to the edge of your precipice to find out how far you can go. Right? At any stage along the way, you can say no. Mm-hmm. And no is very, very small and very narrow. If you never said yes, you never had the opportunity to say no. And if you do say yes, and you find you, that you, yourself in a situation that it's no, reset, re-hit the reset button and find another way to get yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you start off by embracing life with wide open arms. And I think that's where the opportunities come from. And today, there are so many opportunities out there. There's so much stuff out there. It brings me my two favorite words I love to use together. I am a ruthless editor. Mm-hmm. It's about knowing, being oversold from everyone all around you. It's about knowing what to say no to, so you can leave the 5% of the cream at the top so you can tell a smart, intelligent story. Otherwise, there's just too much chatter and clutter around us.
0: Okay. And uh, Do you have anything you want to confess? Is there anything on your chest? You... I am a priest here, James the priest, I am the Lord.
1: Once again, <laughs> nothing I'm prepared to share on this podcast. Dude, we're living in a world of cancel culture, right? Yes. We've we never are. ever learned to be more PC with what we think, say, put in writing, what you follow, what you don't follow. I mean we live in literally we live and exist today in a glass bubble where everybody gets to see everything completely. So you know it's interesting. And being no saint, okay, and obviously there's a bit of sinner in me. I've been able to keep my nose very clean, mm-hmm. and there's not one negative thing written about me on the internet. And, and somehow, someone above protected me, looked after me, and made sure that I'd always did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I always was smart about it, you know? When I was in my 20s, and I used to love and to go out and party and get crazy, I would never drive. I would always get a town car and a driver, because mm-hmm. I knew that if I screwed up there, I wouldn't get a green card. And if I had an accident or anything, it was Mm -hmm. a felony, I would never, my dream to live in America would have been cut short in a New York nanosecond. Mm -hmm. So as crazy as I am, I'm kind of responsible too. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Right. We're we're coming to the end of our recording now. So Mr. Colin Cowie, deliverer of 13 children, war hero, ruthless editor, regular at the Playboy Mansion, the John Travolta of the wedding industry, someone who you would not want to be in the driving seat for whom failure is not an option. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, James. I had the most wonderful time with you. A pleasure. We'll do it again. Thank you for listening to this RSVP podcast. If you'd like to go onto our mailing list or join RSVP, then please go to our website at rsvp.club or email me at james at rsvp.club. Please keep your feedback coming and speak to you all next week.